Revelation chapter 17 and verse 5. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the, of the abominations of the earth. Be seated. Please turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 17. It's very important you have your Bible out tonight. I'll explain why in just a few minutes. The story is told about a young man from a very rich family that bought a car, a Ferrari car, a very expensive car. He decided to take it out on a, on a spin. He came up to a traffic light, and at the traffic light was a, an older man sitting on a little, one of those little mopeds. The old man on the moped. He said, that's a fancy-looking car you've got there, Sonny. Uh, what is it? The young man said, well, it's a Ferrari, and it costs nearly a half a million dollars. The older man said, well, why does it cost that much money? Because it's the fastest car on the road. Wow, the old man said. Would, would you mind if I took a look inside? And the young man said, sure, go ahead. So he poked his head through the window and kind of looked around. He said, that's a neat looking car. About that time, the traffic light changed, and the young man decided he would just show the old man what the car would do. So he floored it. In a few moments, that car was doing 150. And surprise, 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 the young man looked in his rearview mirror, and there was a, a dot. There was somebody chasing him. In fact, the guy was gaining on him. Well, how could that be? You know, this car is supposed to be the fastest car out there. How could anyone keep up with my car? So he pushed it a little further. Pretty soon he was 160, 170, 180 miles an hour. And still that dot was right there in his rear view mirror. Well, he knew he was approaching a populated city. He knew that he had to slow down, so he started slowing down. And pretty soon he was down to about the speed limit. When he got down to the speed limit, crash! Something crashed in the back of his car. So he stopped, got out of the car. And there on the pavement was that very same old man. The young guy said, well, sir, what can I do for you? Can I do anything for you? The old man in a very weak voice said, yes. Unhook my suspenders from your side view mirror. Here's the moral to that story. Be careful. What you get attached to, it could destroy you in the end. So be careful. You know, that's the way it is with things of the world. It's the way it is with possessions, pleasure, and power. It is not wrong to have some of these things. We need a few possessions, and it's fun to have a few things we have pleasure with and, and have power. But when you have too much of it, or better yet, when they have you, 
that's when you're in trouble. That's when you have difficulty. The early Christians that John was writing to needed to hear this, and so do we today. The worldly man boasts, he who dies with the most toys wins. But the truth is, he who dies with the most toys dies. 1 John chapter 2. John wrote, And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Tonight, let me ask you a question. What are you pursuing? Are you pursuing the pleasures of this world or the will of God? Tonight, we're going to do something a little different. As you know, I read a lot of scriptures in my lessons. Tonight, I'm not going to be reading those passages. Tonight, you will be reading those passages from the book of Revelation. So turn to chapter 17. As you read these verses, I'm going to make comment on the verses and on the content of what John is saying to the church then and the church now. Revelation chapter 17. Notice what it says at the end there. Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Revelation 17 verse 1 is a very similar opening language as Revelation 21 verse 9. John is calling us to compare two different women. The great harlot, and we're going to define who she is in just a moment, and Revelation 21 is the bride of Christ. The church. In fact, in Revelation 17, verse 1, we have um, very similar imagery used to describe the physical Babylon of Jeremiah 51, a city that was set next to the Euphrates River, and this symbolic Babylon, which we'll meet here in chapter 17. The woman... Who is this harlot of 17, chapter 17? The harlot represents Rome's seduction and deception. It was her seductive power, her deception power. This is immorality with a capital E for evil. The early Christians needed to hear this, and so do we today. Verse 2, look at verse 2. With whom the kings of the earth, this woman, this seductive Rome, influences the smaller kings of the world. Who are we talking about? Well, think about Herod's family. You know, Herod's family, they served as kings over their territory. Well, see, Rome had these kings throughout their empire, and this seductive Rome, this seductive Rome had its influence over those kings. Once again, it's very similar to what was happening in Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 53. John is taken by spirit to the wilderness. Where is this wilderness? Well, this wilderness is where the good woman of Revelation 12 had been taken. 
There, the good woman had been taken there in order to be protected by God. And now John is over there and he sees what this harlot is doing. Verse 3 again, we have the introduction again of the scarlet beast. Who is the scarlet beast? That's the imperial, imperial persecutor Rome. Remember back in chapter 13, we had the two beasts. We had the sea beast and the land beast. Here, this is the sea beast. And this sea beast is using divine names. We know that Caesar had divine names attributed to him. And that's blasphemy. To say that you're God. But that's what Caesar said. Caesar said, I'm God. And that is this scarlet beast. Verse, thir- verse 3 again. The woman, she's in control. How do we know that? She sits. Sitting is a symbol of her control. But guess what, folks? In the latter part of chapter 17, she's going to lose that control. To who? To imperial Rome. You see, imperial Rome is going to be the real strong one here. And that's going to be bringing on more persecution upon the church. Verse number 4. The woman, she was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. How did the world see this woman? This woman appears beautiful. But remember, beauty is only skin deep. Underneath, she is full of evil and darkness. She is not what she looks like. Verse 5, notice the description of verse 5, the passage that Thomas read. This woman, she wants praise and honor. Why? Because this is her imagined importance. And on her forehead, a name was written. In the first century, prostitutes often would wear headbands, advertising their occupation. Here, this woman has got a headband. On her headband is all this false praise. Because why? She wants it. She thinks she deserves it. But it's all in her mind. And John, verse 6, marvels with great amazement. Why? Because she looks so good to the naked eye. You know, sin looks good. If the devil played fair, he doesn't, but if he did, if the devil played fair, you would see that sin led to a lot of bad consequences you would see that, that, that first drink led to drunkenness, leads to alcoholism, and leads to a life living from drink to drink. As one of my friends who is a recovering alcoholic would tell you. But you see, the devil doesn't play fair. He doesn't show you what sin is really like. He covers it up quite well. 
extremely well. John marveled with great amazement. This woman is not what one would expect. Satan can easily camouflage his intentions. The early Christians needed to hear this, and so do we today. Now, verse 7. The angel said, I will tell you the mystery of the woman of the beast that carries her. The mystery will be explained to John and to us. The multiple heads suggest human intelligence. Did you catch that? Suggest human intelligence? Really not intelligent at all. It just looks intelligent. The horns represent human power. Once again, human power, not real power. The devil, wants, the devil wants to make you think that this is the best move. This is the best decision. This makes sense. At least that's what he wants you to believe. But it's false. Verse 8. Verse 8 is hard for me. I still don't know for sure. Let's read verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not. When I read verse 8, I always think, I think Yoda wrote verse 8, okay? Because <laughs> it, it's confusing here. Let's look at it. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose name are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Here we have extreme symbolism. And to be honest with you, I do not know for sure the message. I believe the early church could understand it. Maybe we can't today. Here's my best guess. Nero may be referenced as the one who saw, you saw, was, and is not. When John wrote this, of course, Nero was dead. So he may be referencing the persecution that started under Nero. Domitian, who was certainly Nero-like, very similar in his style of persecution, Domitian may be the one that is about to come. But being very honest with you, I am not for sure. Verse 9. Verse 9, we find out who this Babylon really is. The Babylon that was mentioned in verse 5. Who is Babylon? Verse 9. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Rome was famous for many things. One of those things that Rome is famous, in fact, even still today is famous for, is being the city of seven hills. It's the city of seven hills. So who is John referencing? Who is Babylon? It's Rome. Verse 10 and 11, the seven kings, who are they? They're hard to identify. But here is my bottom line. 
these seven kings, those who oppose God, will go down in destruction. Destruction. They will not win. Verse 12, the ten kings are most likely, I believe, vassal rulers who rule certain areas of the Roman Empire. Notice in verse 12, they rule for one hour. What does that mean? Their rule is limited. And then verse 13. All these rulers link back to who? The beast. Who's the beast? Imperial Rome. Caesar. Verse 14. Verse 14, we've got a conflict. A major conflict. A conflict between right and wrong. And guess who the victor is? The victor is the Lamb. The Lamb of Christ. Rome, while weakened by its many enemies, internal corruption, and epic Natural disasters. Remember, those are the three things that finally led to the fall of Rome. Its enemies, internal corruption, and natural disasters. Rome finally fell in the late 400s A.D. Who do they fall to? Well, they were kind of picked off the bones by a cross-section of Germanic invaders, the Vandals, and earlier the Visigoths. Now, last week I mentioned the Parthians, and one of our online viewers thought I meant that the Parthians were the victors over Rome. The Parthians were not the victors over Rome. Rome eventually defeated the Parthians. But in so doing, Rome was weakened. And every time they had a major enemy, they were weakened a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Combine that with all the corruption in the household of Caesar and all the natural disasters, the peak of natural disasters that kept on happening. And Rome fell. And great was the fall of Rome. A hundred years after Rome fell, Rome was almost like a ghost town. Very few people were living there. The once and great powerful Rome, being like a ghost town, yeah. Why? Because you can't win against God. They tried to, and they failed. Verse 15 now. In verse 15, uh, explains what verse 1 is talking about. In verse 1, it says that the harlot was sitting on many waters. Who are these waters? These waters are identified as the people Rome was controlling. How did seductive, deceptive Rome, how did it function? By controlling people. By controlling people. Satan functions today by controlling us, or at least trying to control us. 
Then in verse 16, the ones the woman controls, they eventually turn against her. And the beast gobbles up what is left. And then verse 17 there. Verse 17, For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill His purpose, to be of one mind, to give their kingdom to the beast, and to the words of God are fulfilled. Rome didn't realize that they were just playing a part in God's plan. God was using Rome. And Rome didn't even realize it. God was using Rome, and Rome did not even realize it. That's true throughout history. God has used men and nations to carry out His purpose. You see, God is never out of control. He's always the one with real control in any situation. The early Christians needed to hear this, and so do we today. Then our last verse. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Once again, John reminds us, the woman, the woman is Rome with all its seductive power and deception. But you're wondering, Michael, what about the sermon title? What's the sermon title? Beauty or the Beast? Well, beauty, you're talking about the harlot, aren't you? The woman on the beast. No, I'm not. Not at all. You see, the harlot is not the real beauty. She is just beauty that's skin deep. She is not the real beauty. She is worldly beauty riding the beast, but she's not the real beauty. The real beauty is Jesus. You knew, and you and I have to decide, will it be the real beauty of Jesus or the harlot on the beast? You see, all of us have to decide between right and wrong, good and evil. We have to make a decision every day of our lives. Will we do what is right? And often what is right is more difficult it's harder, or we do what is wrong, which is often the easier thing to do. Will we decide to follow Jesus, or will we decide to follow the harlot? Tell me, whose side are you on today? Are you pursuing the pleasures and power of this world? Those pleasures and powers will be ultimately be destroyed, just like Rome was destroyed. Or are you pursuing the Lamb? The Lamb who will overcome because He is Lord of lords and kings of kings. I urge you, trust Christ with your life and get on the winning side. Don't side with the losers of this world. Don't side with those who follow the beast and don't side with those who follow the prostitute in this chapter either. Many years ago, an American was visiting in Argentina, and he was asked why America was powerful and rich and Argentina was so weak 
and poor. The man thought about it for a while. He said, well, here's my opinion. I think the reason is found in the fact that the Spaniards who discovered Argentina came to South America seeking gold, while the pilgrims came to North America seeking God. Did you notice there's only one letter difference between gold and God? Only one letter difference, but a world apart in meaning and destiny. Before you day is a choice. You can pursue gold or you can pursue God. You can pursue this worldly wealth that we have or you can pursue God's will. You can pursue this world's pleasure or you can pursue God's pleasure. What will it be? Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. It's not difficult. He didn't say it's difficult. He said no one can do it. You can't serve two masters. You can't hold on to two. It just won't work. In James 4, verse 4, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Think about it. To be better off in this world is not to be better. The early Christians needed to hear this, and so do we today. Once again, God's simple plan of salvation. Are you a Christian? If you are a Christian, do you need to seek forgiveness? Is there anything we can do to help you tonight? If so, please come as we stand and sing for your encouragement. Have you been? Are you born?